This is Gilbert Andrew Garcia. Join me for my new radio show, A Tip from Gilbert. Talk inspiration and prayer every Monday from 11 to 11.45 a.m. on KWWJ, 1360 a.m., 96.9 FM, or KYOK, 1140 a.m. Call me, 832-570-8075. See you then. All right, Houston, you have me. This is Gilbert Garcia, a tip from Gilbert, which is talk, inspiration, and prayer. This song has great meaning to me because um, it really is an extraordinary song. Of course, it was written by Jeff Lynn of ELO and Tom Petty. And Tom Petty says, and go ahead and, go ahead and cut it off, Mr. Producer. It's a short song. We'll play it at the end. Um, Tom Petty says it's probably his most important song that he's written because so many people have told him how much it meant to them. The whole concept, and I'm just going to read a couple of lyrics here, Houston. I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. I'm going to stand my ground. I won't be turned around, and I'll keep this world from dragging me down. I'm going to stand my ground, and I won't back down. I mean, it's incredible about overcoming adversity, all of those things. And I chose this song because I have a guest uh, Miss Rachel Fisher, who is a forensic nurse, but she's much more than that. She's, I would call it, an angel and an inspiration to so many. And I had the opportunity to see her speak about, she doesn't even remember, somewhere around uh, four years or so ago. And it moved me, and I never for forgot about it. So, Rachel, welcome to A Tip from Gilbert. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, and you look great. We have you. And here's the thing. Your story's incredible. And for all the listeners out there, this is probably going to be one of the most interesting and in many ways painful story, but yet it's such a great story and such an incredible happy ending. So tell us, where were you from? Tell us tell us where you where you're born and, and what do you remember as a child when you were young? Yeah, so I'm from Detroit, Michigan, originally. Um, I grew up in the foster care system and was adopted. Um, memories, there's, I mean, there's so many layers, so many chapters. Um, well, let's go through that for a second. So foster care system, someone like me who doesn't really know what that means, foster care. So that means you didn't have parents? So my, my birth family, if you will, um, my father was the leader of a gang and my mother was um, being prostituted, um, trafficked if you'll call it now. And so it wasn't a good home situation I was born into. So I was taken out and put into the foster care system where children who are in bad situations or don't have parents go and hopefully get adopted. So let me ask you this. So who, if I say anything that's offensive, I apologize. Who took you away or who rescued you? Was it, is the government intervenes yes. or did the parents say, we're just going to you know, take our daughter, Rachel, and just put her up to a family that can do better. Yeah, no, it was a federal drug raid. It was a, a government intervention. How old were you? I was five years old. Do you remember? I do. I do. Did you understand? I didn't um, because I didn't know that my situation was bad. I had my brother. Um, my mom was in and out of the picture and my dad and all the bikers. Like that was, I have these little memories and the sensory memories, but uh, yeah, I definitely remember being in that car, driving away and kicking the social worker's car because they put me with an advocate. They drove me away. And I remember the lights in the in the background and my brother running after the car. But I just, uh, yeah, those are those are memories that stick. Interesting. So then you go to the foster care system. How long were you in the foster care system? So I was taken in by a family who adopted several children, um, you know, for state subsidy. You know, we had a dollar sign on us, right? And it wasn't the best situation. It was actually Let's explain maybe worse. that to people. Let's explain that to Houston because does a family that adopts uh, is it not? It's not a permanent adoption, is it? So you can choose to foster, where you just um, the state gives you money, basically monthly, to be able to take in children, and you can choose to adopt them, and then you still get that state subsidy to be able to care for a child that you took out of the government system. So the state is paying the parents to take on these children as either temporary payments, uh, par parents, or permanent parents. Correct. Okay, I see. So how long were you in the system? So I ended up running away at age fifteen um, from the foster care 
facility? From the family. I, I lived in different homes throughout because this, the family that they put me with was not healthy. Um, the, the foster family got divorced, both got remarried to two very bad people. And so it was back and forth between two different homes. And there was a lot of abuse that went on and a lot of just bad things. So I ended up running away because it was like, which misery is worse, the street life or going between two very dangerous homes or going back to a gang life. So I was all over the place. That's almost like a, what's the saying when you like don't have a choice, but it's a choice, yeah. but you didn't have a choice. Yeah. Well, so you ran away at 15. Well, that took incredible courage. Yeah. Um, and you went, I mean, did you, ha- I mean, you just, you just said, you know what, I'm just leaving. Did you like, you know, you see when kids are up in the, in the shows, of course, these are like nice shows. The kid puts a, in a big uh, bandana, all the clothes they can and puts it on a stick and says, okay, I'm leaving. I mean, did you just say, I got to get the hell out of here? So it was more so the, the police were always at the house for um, domestic disturbances. And of course I was always titled the delinquent, the bad child that was acting out, but in reality, it was abuse, and I was I was a cry for help, but nobody would help me. So I remember this officer telling me, um, you know, Melissa, because my name has been changed a couple times, but I remember him telling me that I either have to become an emancipated minor and live on my own, or they're going to have to put me back in the system because I was 15. And I basically told him, I'm like, you know, you've been here so many times, you get my story, I got to get out of here, and I'm going to run. And he's like, I can't tell you to do that but I'll just tell you we'll always be here for you if you if you do and he was the one officer that was actually good to me and and I just um that was an angel yeah that didn't say well then we're gonna lock you up because you can't run that just sort of said I get it that's really what he told you I get it let me ask you this so when you said your parents did you see abuse in the home between 5 and 15 Oh, absolutely. I mean, I saw abuse. I was abused. Um, the other children were abused physically, sexually. Um, and the, when the parents that took us in got divorced, there was a stepfather that was not a healthy situation, a stepmother that wasn't healthy. And there was um, either way I went, whether I was a weekend at either one, it was, it was bad. So the school that I was going to at the time, it was a private Christian school. Um, the state subsidy payment for me, they sent me to that private school. So that was really my only stable foundation. And so different families from the school would pick me up, um, take me in for a week or so. So I was going to different homes and staying with different people and going to church with people. And they would try to, you know, get me away from the situation because they saw something wasn't right. So people would kind of take turns and trying to take me in for a little bit. That's, inc- I mean, you say these things with such incredible maturity and with no anger in your heart and, and, and you know somehow i would think i'd be like i mean i'd take the, the name of the lord in vain and i'd be like what do you i mean i don't know and maybe it's because i'm a weak person but it's incredible to hear you talk about it so matter of fact so you but you're hearing me now and i mean it was a painful past but my whole life i've been trying to turn that into a powerful purpose and take Um, Because I I believe nothing is wasted and everything happens for a reason. So I try to take that mess and turn it into a message and try to figure out why did I go through this and why am I strong enough to talk about it? Let me help other people that are in that situation. You are an angel to be able to talk to others who are on that front end, kind of where you were when you were 15, who are there trying to make that decision to be, I've got to run away. And, And now you're there to support them. How incredible is that? You must feel... That's got to be very satisfying. It's definitely cathartic. I mean, to be able to give back and to be able to use my struggle to make somebody else successful is, um, it makes it all worth it. It's like Paul in the Bible says he's kind of worthy to suffer. I feel like, you know, that was that was me. I was strong enough and brought through that. And I do feel like I had an angel and, you know, you can call it the Holy Spirit, but God definitely preserved me and protected me through that and uh, got me to where I am. And I don't think he got me this far just to get me this far. So I'm going to... There's no doubt. I want to talk about that in a second. I know we we have a caller. Do we have a caller there? Andrea Beal, are you there? Yes. Hi, Gilbert. Good morning. How are you? I hope you're listening to the show. And do you have a question for either me or my guest, Rachel? Um, no, I just wanted to say, um, Rachel, I, I'm a judicial candidate for the 1D 5th District Court. And um, I previously spent about a year and a half prosecuting on behalf of um, sexually abused children. And I currently prosecute on behalf of children who have been um, who have been murdered due to an abusive situation, and so I just want to commend you for um, having the strength to tell your story and help others with it. Well, Andrew, let me ask you this: 
if you don't mind, and if I ask yeah. anything that's not you're not comfortable, just tell me, or anything you can't answer. So, like, as a citizen, you know, I'm just a person. How much do you see? Is this when you when you're there? Do you prosecute? Do you say, "Here are my files for the day"? You know, child abuse, child abuse, child abuse, or is it just like there's a whole bunch of cases and there's one child abuse? I mean, how prevalent is it here? And human yeah, trafficking, the whole the whole the whole shebang, as they say. Right. Um, I don't have the numbers on that. What I can tell you is we have quite a few people dedicated to human trafficking, dedicating, dedicated to um, prosecuting child sex crimes. And then in my division, which is child fatality, we have about 100 active pending cases right now um, of, of murdered children. The problem is those numbers keep increasing, but the prosecutors, we don't have enough. Like you guys do such good work. And I can say this now because I, I work as a legal nurse consultant now and I testify in cases as an expert um, for child abuse, sex trafficking. And, and there are just so many prosecutors out there. And so at the systems level and the judicial system, um, we really need to increase funding and allow for more prosecutors and more training and for people to be trauma-informed and survivor-informed to know how to properly handle these cases, whether you're on the defense or the prosecution, you need to be trauma-informed to make it um, a fair and just trial. So you guys do hard work and I appreciate it, but it's tough stuff. That, it, that sounds tough and I'm, and I'm hearing it all for the first, in fact, I'm not even used to these uh, phrases, trauma-informed, I mean, I mean, but it makes so much sense. Well, let me ask you, uh, at, you're a prosecutor still, right? I am, yes. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm working for Harris County right now and also campaigning for one of the felony courts. So when you become a judge, and, you know, I, I just think that's in your future, whether it's now, although I think it's me now, or in the future. Let me ask you this. Will you be sitting in on cases like this? Yes, so the 185th District Court is a felony court, um, so all it hears are felonies, every different type of felony. And the legislature has actually, um, and for a while now, mandated that felony courts prioritize cases where children have been abused. And in trial order, no matter how old other cases might be, we have to bring child abuse cases to the forefront and prioritize those in trial order. And so I'm going to ensure that that is restored to the 185th as well amen that must be music to your ears that's incredible well you know I i'm just going to flip it on us and i don't know if i'm directing this to you to you rachel or uh to miss beale there which is am i saying it right it's miss beale correct it, it's bell but it's bell it's, it looks like beale bell yes. miss bell uh, please excuse <laughs> me um so I believe in the whole concept of everyone is innocent till proven guilty. I believe in those things. That's the foundation of our country. I believe that everyone has a right to a, um, you know, a, a defense, et cetera. But when you become a defense attorney, and let's say you're with the, what, what do you call it, legal aid? Golly, you got to look at these people and say, how can I defend this bum? I mean, no, really, right? I mean, I just can't imagine. How do I defend this? I mean, and I'm not knocking defense attorneys. I mean, these, you know, legal aid, I get it. But gosh, some of these have to be where you say, come on. Am I missing something, Miss Bell? Well, it's really vital that everyone have a good defense. And I'll tell you that as a prosecutor handling these egregious cases, um, I need a good defense attorney on the other side to ensure that the defendant's rights are protected and upheld, because if that doesn't happen, everyone suffers. If for some reason a defense attorney isn't doing their job to the best of the ability, the case can come back on appeal, which means that the victim in the case is going to have to retestify. Um, we're going to spend more resources trying a case all over again. And so I need the defense attorney to be willing to do their job, no matter what the type of crime is, because their client deserves a defense. You know, Miss Bell, you sound like a judge already, right? Doesn't she sound like a judge? <laughs> but, but, but going back, so Rachel, what about you? Do you ever say, because you've testified and been an expert witness in some of these cases. For the prosecution and defense in state and federal courts. No kidding. And so, I mean, that's why we have things like the Innocence Project, because there are, there are people in jail who potentially should not be. And then there are people who should be in jail that aren't. And it's because of, you know, lack of resources. Maybe the um, attorneys were brand new or didn't have proper co-counselor, you know, the right division. So the fair and just trial, that's so important, and especially in Harris County, because we have so, so many things. That's a totally different conversation. But to be able to provide lawyers that 
are prepared, that are trauma-informed, that are specific for the division, that are able to tackle these trials so that they don't end up on appeal um, for ineffective counsel is huge. I mean, that's why, like um, Bell said, you know, we have a human trafficking division that is so key. You need lawyers who are specifically prosecuting and defending human trafficking. You need child sexual abuse. You need murder. These are very specific things. You can't just merge them all together and say, okay, we have prosecutors for this or you have to specify where they work and have those divisions and have budgets for each because it's specific and the victims suffer if, if they're all pooled together because they need individual training and individual specialties. That's key. Well, Ms. Bell, we thank you. When it, just give it 30 seconds. Where's your website so people can go read up about you? It's www.andreabelllforjudge.com, and I'm in the primary runoff on um, May 24th. Early voting starts May 16th. And thanks so much for having me, Gilbert. Thank you for being on the show. You really added a great deal. So thank you, Houston. That was Miss Bell, who, of course, is a candidate for judge. And at the end of the day, boy, she sounds like one already, right? But let me ask you, Rachel, because you know you sound like a lawyer already. Um, have you ever thought of being an attorney? So when I was little, I used to want to be an attorney. And um, my brother, since my father was a criminal, you know, Rico acted. And my brother, they got into a lot of trouble. And so they said, you know, Melissa, you got to go uh, again. My name was, used to be right, Melissa. Right. So you got to go to law school so that when, and be a criminal defense attorney. So when we get in trouble, you can be the club's attorney. You can help us all out. And I'm like, okay. So when I became a nurse, I became a sexual assault nurse examiner, taking care of children, doing the rape kits, swabbing and testify in court. And then I realized forensic nursing is where the health and legal systems intersect. So I can do legal nurse consulting, testify as a nurse expert in trial, unbiased. I'm testifying to the science and whether it's the defense or the prosecution, I'm testifying to the science related to the case. And it's just this beautiful aspect where I don't have to go to law school. I don't even necessarily have to understand the law, but to be able to articulate it in front of a judge and a jury and explain the science behind it. Has you know, been I, I want to go, you just said like 10 things. I just have a follow-up already. I mean, I, I can't even keep up with you. Um, I know we have another caller. Miss Ramitas, I'm going to ask you to stay on if you don't mind just for a second, because I want to go back to when you were young, between that five and 15, when you said you saw abuse, I mean, I mean, it's just hard to imagine, but was your step, not step, your foster father, like abusive to the, your foster mother? And you, did you see it? I did. And she would, you know, beg me to, to not leave because I'd tell her, you know, I, I'm going to run. I have somebody who's going to take me in. And she'd say, you know, please don't leave me. I can't be here alone with him. And so I stayed and endured him abusing me and his sons abusing me and everything I went through because I didn't want her to suffer alone. And so she'd cry to me and ask me not to leave her and she, she didn't work and she needed his help. And so I watched her just stay in an abusive relationship and let her kids suffer. And so it, it, it helped me realize, okay, that's something I'm never gonna do. You know, now how, I mean, maybe again, because I'm, I'm, I'm ignorant, which is, it just seems, and maybe this is what everybody says because they don't know any better and I don't know any better, to say, you know what, just leave him. I mean, how come, I mean, is that like, that's probably the most silliest thing to say, Why just leave him, right? Why don't they just leave? Right. That's the just, question yeah. they ask well, for domestic violence victims, human trafficking victims. Why don't they just leave? There's so many variables there. There's, you know, if you don't have a job, you, you can't support yourself. You can't feed yourself. You can't feed your children. Where are you going to go? I mean, the resources just aren't always there and it's hard to access. So where are you going to go? So that's that. Do you really have a choice? And they say, well, why don't you take this road? What made you assume I saw two roads? This was the only option. So that is a very often asked question that just can't be answered, but by the person you're asking it to. And why, again, this is another ridiculous question because it just seems so kind of like in the vein of why not leave him? Just leave him. Another one is just call the police. Mm, so the, the it, it, law enforcement has come a long way and I, I train law enforcement FBI I go and I train them on you know being survivor informed trauma informed and how to do it better and they're coming a long way but they they don't always know how to help they just know how they're trained to respond and how to do crisis intervention and so when it comes to that situation even I mean even officers I I was arrested as a child and and put into jail because come on I was trying to protect myself and because I was a, a kid, I was a delinquent. So they're getting better, but they, they still need training on how to best respond because they want to help. If you're an officer, you went into that field to help people, right. not to hurt them, but to, to allow for more funding for training to know when you come to a DV domestic violence or um, child runaway situation, you know how to 
truly talk to them and find out what they need because rescue or arrest isn't always the answer. There's usually something more and it's taking that time and having that heart and, and being able to understand that there's more to it. So you left at 15. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to then, I want to complete the timeline of how you became this incredible voice. I'm going to use this phrase for the voiceless, so to speak. Um, but right after this, is there an Erica Ramitas on the line? Miss Ramitas, I know you were very patient. What do you got for me there? You have a tip from Gilbert. This is Gilbert Garcia. Talk inspiration and prayer with one of the most extraordinary guests I've had here. Uh, forensic nurse, Rachel Fisher. Gilbert, yes, I just wanted to call in because Rachel's story really touched me. Um, I was a child advocate for several years, so I was a guardian at Lighten for Children in the Foster Care System. And this young Latina girl was abused sexually by her uncle, and none of the family believed her. Um, so I felt I was blessed to be able to be appointed to her case and to stick with her throughout those years to make sure that her needs were met, that she was safe, and that she knew that I believed her. Um, so the fact that Rachel has, got, you know, gone through this life experience and has used it to help others, I'm just incredibly touched, and, and I think that's amazing. Golly, that well, that touches me, but I can't help but to ask you a question because I just can't help it, which is, so if a child says to family members, uncle so-and-so is abusing me, do they just say, ah, you don't know? I mean, don't they, like, say, well— let me see, do you have bruises? Or let's take you into a, a, a doctor to test to see if you've got, um, I don't know if I could say, you know, male, uh, well, DNA. DNA on you. I mean, why not do those things? What, what do they do there, Erica? They just say, oh, honey, you know, you know you're exaggerating. Exactly. It depends the family. With this instance, they would say, oh, she's a drama queen. You know, and at the time, Uncle was one of the, the breadwinners, as Rachel said about, like, where are you going to go with there's no money? If, if he's one of the breadwinners of the family, then then what are they going to do without him? So I, it, I guess it was, it's just it, a vicious cycle. But at the end yeah. of the day, they all need therapy. They all need help, not just Absolutely. her. And he really needs, I mean, incredible help. Um, but then the others, in many ways, they become, um, I don't know the right word, facilita- excuse me, facilitators in this crime, right? They be- yes. You know, it's, yes. it's awful. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know, Rachel, if you have anything to say yeah, to Eric. I mean, is that a, common? It's a, it's a hard topic, and it's very common. That's why some children don't outcry, you know, because they're f- the fear of retaliation, the fear of not being believed is huge. In, in my situation, when I was young and, and crying out, nobody believed me. And even the adopted family, like when I told them what was happening with my stepfather, they, you know, they all just disowned me. They're like, you're a little orphan Annie. You're just trying to cause trouble just because you're a little blonde girl. You think that you're better than us. I'm like, no, I'm I'm from Detroit. I'm cool, but I'm not better. I'm just hurting. And so there was one family member. It was the sister of my stepfather, actually. And she um, she kind of took me under her wing. She believed me. She was the only one who did. And she would come over and, you know, bring me stuff that I needed at my foster family's house. And um, her family actually disowned her and stopped inviting her to family events. Because she was because supporting she you? Because she supported me. And then it wasn't until I was off at college and one of his other daughters cried out about what he was doing. And since that was a blood daughter crying out, they're like, oh, well, I guess she wasn't making this up. And so then it was this moment of forgiveness and healing where they're like, okay, we're sorry. And then um, I published my book and told my story. And um, and then that um, sister of his actually adopted me legally, just that I would have somebody to put as an emergency contact. When I was 20, like 25 years old, she, I just needed somebody to put as an emergency contact. And she was that person that stuck by me, even when her own family disowned her for taking an orphan side. So that was... I mean, that's a wonderful story, but yet it's an awful story. I know. It's an awful story. But it's so common. If that, that's the co- common denominator. The children aren't believed, and people look for physical evidence when it's the internal scars. Like, I have internal scars that will never go away. People won't see them, and I'll put on a suit, and you'll never know I was hurting. But they never go away, and that's hard for people to believe. Maybe in some weird way, the fact that you talk about it, the fact that you write about it, is is healing those inside scars. Ms. Ramirez, did you have anything else there for Rachel? No, I just wanted to say I appreciate her work, uh, you know, working with the kiddos and being able to 
you know, explain the science to jurors. That's so important. And I just I just think that's amazing. I wanted to thank her for sharing this story. Well, thank you for jumping on here with a tip from Gilbert Talk Inspiration Prayer. And please call in again. But Rachel, so let's go back. Let's complete the, so from 15, you ran away and you didn't know where you were going. So I was living at different houses every every day. I was um, sleeping in my friend's van, sleeping on um, back porches, patio furniture, just wherever I could. I was literally just surviving. Um, and I was still going to school at the time. And so I didn't want anybody to know what was going on. And um, it, I, there was a period, like especially during the summer where it got really bad. And I went on Craigslist and I found an ad for a modeling agency that um, promised me the world and I, I um, gave them a copy of my birth certificate, my social security card, everything they needed. And um, they knew I wasn't 18. They took pictures of me. They posted ads for me and they started um, dropping me off to parties. I, you, there's a term for it called human trafficking now, commercial sexual exploitation. But at that time, I was just going along with it because they gave me a place to stay. They fed me. And if I just gave them the money I made, it was it was fine. And, and um, I actually got looked at as a even worse person when people saw my ads online. Somebody's husband saw my photos of me in lingerie posted on this website, and I got looked at as a prostitute, as a as a, a whore. They called me, and even in my youth group, in my church, they um, they didn't understand, and so they just thought that I was acting out, a bad kid. And at the end of the day, I was surviving, and. Um, they had blackmailed me that they'd show my school the pictures if I ever told anybody what they did, and um, I wanted to be able to graduate. So I did end up graduating. I, I went through all that, um, and I went off to Christian college for a year to kind of get my heart right, get go in the middle of nowhere. I met somebody online again, and I got married at 19 years old, and it was uh, just to get my name changed, go to a rural, rural area and just start over, and it was um, not a good marriage. There was a lot of trauma in that, but it was safer than where I was. So I endured a very bad marriage for five years and then um, went to nursing school during that time. So I endured another set of trauma, but it was um, a less misery than before. So that's how I became a nurse and then got, got through that. Wow. There needs to be a movie. Yeah, I've been a documentary movie. recently. Yeah, tell us about it. the documentary. Yeah, so there's a um, we went around to Budapest, Hungary, Ethiopia, Manila, and um, the, the Philippines and Mumbai, India, and Houston and Vegas, and we filmed survivor stories, survivors of trafficking, who were um, similar stories to mine. And when people say trafficking, does that mean prostitution? So I mean. What, what, I mean Educate us on some of these terms. Yeah, so human trafficking, so it's not smuggling. It's not, that's a crime against a country. That's people being moved across borders. Trafficking is when you take a person and you sell them for <laughs> sex or some sort of currency. Um, or if it's a child, you don't need to prove forced fraud or coercion. If you're selling a child and posting ads like I was, then, and you're taking their money because you don't usually get to keep your money, especially if you have a pimp, he, he keeps it. But um, yeah, so trafficking is very prevalent. And, and they sell the person to some body yeah and then they wash their hands and they oh, take the oh, money they sell them to several people I, and so not selling them working. yeah they're not selling them to like here you now own her it's like nope. it's go, they're go different john so to speak party, okay. serve these bachelors yeah do, yeah so how terrible it's pretty terrible and it's very prevalent especially here in houston and so it's a big problem um but yeah it's it's a big problem in houston how do you keep it together Oh, my faith, my... Uh, Tell us about your faith. You must have an incredible relationship with God. I do. It's really the only relationship that's gotten me through it. He's my why. Um, even when I was a child, like, I, I always knew that he was there. I mean, there was times I tried to commit suicide. And oh, my goodness. I was, I mean, in psych, psych wards, and I was a troubled youth. Even at 12 years old, I was trying to kill myself. But um, I always, like, he would speak to me in dreams, and he would always send somebody right at the right moment to get me out of a bad situation and saved me from it being worse, if you will. And um, just having the Lord and just really finding Jesus and having my faith and something to look forward to. So even when I went to camps and counseling, I always end up counseling the other kids who are going through stuff. So um, even now, that's really my focus. And so the movie, the film, um, it wasn't a, a spiritual film, but we went around just filming the stories. It's called Surviving Sex Trafficking, and it's just showing life after you're being prostituted, life after being trafficked, how you survive, how that journey goes. Because it's not just instantly you're healed. Like you have all these scars, all this baggage, and it's how do you move forward and function in life with all this childhood trauma? So it really highlights the survivor's journey. 
That is incredible. I want to just say that I think we have another caller. And KYOK, you know, I know they have a lot of listeners, KYOK. And I just want to say welcome. I know we have listeners in uh, Lake Conroe, the Woodlands, and other places. We really, really thank you for being on the show. This is, I think, the first time you're hearing me live, which is uh, a tip from Gilbert Talk, Inspiration, and Prayer. And I think the main thrust of my show is, of course, I want people to say about uplifting things. This is supposed to be something where you don't get it in the Chronicle, you don't get it in normal things, because this is sort of truth, but it's a safe place. And it's meant to be with every single story and everything we've ever done, there's an uplifting element there where you could clearly see the Lord's work and intervening, um, and that's what the show's about. I have a Jason on the line. Mr. Jason, are you there? Yes, I'm here, I made it through. Oh, thank you, Mr. Jason. You have me, Gilbert Garcia, tip from Gilbert, and you have forensic nurse Rachel Fisher. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, first, I'd like to thank Rachel for being on and sharing her story with us. She is very inspirational in how she's the different traumas and successes that she's had in her life and everything that's led her to this point. And again, I appreciate her sharing her story. Uh, what I'd like to ask, though, is, um, you know, she previously talked about being in the foster system. And I wanted to know if there was one or two things that the foster system or the C or CPS um, could do to maybe spot these things a little bit faster. Um, what do you think that they could get? Is it, or is it a combination of things, whether it's better training for the officers that go there and check on the homes or do they just need more help and they're spread too thin? So it's a little bit of both. And that's a great question. I've actually um, trained some of the DFPS, the special investigators and um, I teach them at conferences and it's number one, they're spread too thin. There's there's so many cases and not enough staff, which is a common problem, but there's also um, the training that they receive. You can go to a college and get a degree in something, but if, if you don't really have that lived experience expert speaking into it, they need more training by survivors of people who have been through the system to train them better. So when I go and I speak, it's not out of a place of hurt, like you guys failed me. Like there's people who speak out of pain, but you gotta speak out of power and say, hey, here's what happened in my situation, here's what you can do better, and here's how. Here's how to make it sustainable and, and attainable goals. And being able to just hear voices of survivors, so to not only be trauma-informed in the CPS system, to, but to be survivor-informed and to have them come speak at your conferences and have funding to bring somebody in to educate your staff, that's number one what's going to change the game. Are they overworked? Oh, yeah. And it's hard stuff. I mean, and self-care is so crucial. It's not selfish, it's necessary. And when you're dealing with the trauma of all these children and all this stuff, you get burnt out so quickly. And so burnout is a huge problem because people don't take the time to take care of themselves when they're saving the world. Because at the end of the day, you can work all day, there'll always be more to do, but you have to take care of yourself because you've, you've done enough to be, to be able to say, okay, I made a difference, let's pour into myself so I can do even better tomorrow. You gotta take care of yourself. Unbelievable. Jason, any other last words there for Miss Rachel? No problem. Um, nope. I appreciate her answering my question and hopefully informing everyone else out there because this is a huge issue and we can only continue working, fighting the good fight to get things better. So again, Rachel, I appreciate you sharing your story with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. So let's talk about that. It's a huge issue. And I know we have another caller. I think there's a Miss Amy there. Amy, if you could just hold us for a second. Um, you know, people say it's a huge issue. You always hear that and you always hear, oh, this neighborhood's bad. And every now and then you read about, uh, you know, a particular saloon. I don't know if it's a club. It's not really a club, but like a watering hole busted for prostitution or things like that. How widespread is it? So, and I will say this, there's, uh, don't use the word just in general, people don't use the word prostitutes. People are not prostitutes. They're prostituted by someone or they're in prostitution. It's not their identity. We got to take that term off of people because it's a, they say it's a profession, but really it's an oppression and that's not their identity. It's just something that they're doing without a choice. Nobody grew up saying they wanted to sell their body when they grew up. I mean, the whole sex work debate is another thing, but nobody was born with a dollar sign saying, I want to sell right. my body. So um, it happens everywhere and it's very prevalent. And um, it's it's in hotels, it's on social media with children. I mean, it's happening in t with teenagers a majority of the time and it's high school seniors that are pimping out the junior hires and freshmen. So it's, it's very prevalent, but it's all about education, talking to your kids and making sure that the community understands it and that the demand side, the men who are purchasing and going onto porn sites and doing all these things, the men need to know that on the other side, 
there's children that are on there. There are people who don't want to do it. So stop feeding into that demand and just education and, and creating your boys and your men to be warriors and to be protectors of women and to train them and educate um, on how to just be good men. You know, thank you for educating us on language. Language is so important to get the language right. I really appreciate that. Let me ask you this. Human trafficking, are men or males or boys trafficked too? They are. It's it's a lower percentage, but it still does happen. I have a few victims that are um, still in the life and some survivors that are recently out that are males. And it's tough for them to get resources and people don't think it happens, but it does because it doesn't it doesn't um, pay attention to socioeconomic class or color, race. Any, it, it looks at vulnerabilities. So if you are any type of human with any type of vulnerability, that's what they target. They target somebody who needs something and they try to fulfill that need and, and finesse their way into a groom. And then you you fall prey to that. So it's a vulnerability that that targets. So it can happen to anyone. That's just awful, especially when I hear children. I mean, that's just that's just awful. Uh, I think we have another caller. Is there a Miss Amy on the line? Hello. Miss Amy, you have me, Gilbert Garcia, with uh, Miss Rachel Fisher. Hi. I just wanted to say thank you, first of all, Rachel, for sharing your story. Um, it's really important, and I want to just thank you, first of all. Um, I wanted to know if there were any like organizations that we could give our time or like money to, like what are good resources we could like look into to help victims, survivors of um, human trafficking. Yeah, there's so many. Um, the one thing I'll say is you don't need to start a new nonprofit. There are so many existing that you can, you know, create a vertical for or pour into. Um, one of the ones I work with closely is called Street Grace. Um, so streetgrace.org and they Street fight. Street Grace, G-R-A-C-E? Yep, Street Grace. Okay. And so they basically target the demand. They they have this um, chat bot that basically intercepts people who are trying to buy children. And um, one year in Houston, we, we diverted 10,000 calls and um, just online transactions of men trying to buy children. So they target the children. They do education in schools. Um, they target the demand side. So intercept and protect the children uh, and do a lot with legislation. So at a systems level, working to promote change to truly impact. So that's probably one of my favorite ones. Um, and then they have a board of actual survivors. Um, there's at least 10 survivors on their board that advise what they do. So I love that about that organization, Street Grace. Um, and Rescue America has a hotline, rescueamerica.ngo, I think it is. But there's so many great organizations, but it's it's really finding out which ones actually do the work. Because there's a lot of people that create nonprofit just to get a name for themselves. So you really have to be careful and make sure you vet who you're giving your money to and your time to. But there's always something to do and someone to partner with. So um, collaborate with what's existing and, and break that competition and just realize that it's the purpose and the heart of what you're doing and making sure that it has a good impact. Thank you, Amy. Amy, any last words or comments there for Miss Rachel? No, just once again, thank you for sharing your story and advocating for all these people who need your help. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for calling in. Let me ask you, oh, I, we got, a, again, Cyprus. We want to welcome our new listeners from Cyprus also. I think we said Lake Connor in the Woodlands. And again, KYOK, we thank you for being part of this effort of changing the world one person at a time. So let me go back to something. Is this common that if I'm way off, it's because I don't know, but I'm learning. Is someone who abuses a child, sexually or physically, otherwise, is it safe to say that person was abused themselves at one time? I mean, is it like a pattern that recreates itself? Unfortunately, it is. There's many studies in the literature that talk about um, people who become, you know, murderers or abusers. They were abused as a child. I mean, it's like over 80 percent um, in, in most studies, but there is this common denominator and the ACE study goes into that of ch adverse childhood experiences. What you experience as a child, I mean, you tend to um, have adverse experiences in life because of it, whether you end up incarcerated, you end up as a, um, a criminal, it, th there is that pipeline. So we really have to cut it where it starts and it starts at home and educating the children and um, really focusing on that because there is a pattern, unfortunately. And if you don't know any different and that's what you're raised in, what else are you going to do? Yeah, you I think mean, it's normal. Yeah, it you, is you normal. Think it's nor it is normal to and you. So even, so I work with a lot of pimps too. Like I, I go out in the street and I hang out with the girls who are still in the life and I've talked to pimps and Johns and I've, I've done it all because I get it. I mean, my dad's still the leader of a gang. Like I get the life. I've been on the streets. I'm out in eight mile um, in Detroit I'm like I get it so I, I look at all angles and I just meet them where they're at and I'm like hey who hurt you what's your story because everyone's got a story everyone's our stories got a story. are all different 
But um, the pain is the same. When you go through trauma, when you go through adversity, you have a pain. You have something that's unspoken that until it's only a memory unless you share it and then it can be usable and moldable but we all have something and we really have to get to a point of people like to talk about the positive and everything's great and fake it till you make it but fake it even if you don't make it is what I say because you know we all have our stuff and until we verbalize it like we need to be at the level of transparency where we can share the struggle and show people the 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 uncomfortable part of the journey so you can be in a suit and be on stage that's great but how'd you get there what'd you go through so that other people can relate and so that it can look like an attainable goal because I didn't just wake up and look like this I went through a lot of stuff but my life isn't perfect it's it's a journey but there's there's these steps and and people need to see attainable what's that next step so you have to share even if you're successful mentor somebody bring somebody up show them how to get to where you are because it's just not one big leap there's all these steps but people need to be taken back a step and say okay well this is what i struggled with so if you have a struggle share it somebody might be able to gain from that look at you now and say okay they're fine now look what they went through i can do it too promote resilience well you know it was easter this past weekend and i um my family goes out for easter lunch and we invited father tom who's our priest and we're very close with him and we were talking about the movie the passion have you seen The Passion by Mel Gibson? I mean, it's an incredible movie. And of course, it's gruesome and it's violent. And it was interesting. Father Tom and I talked about it. He says, you know, Gilbert, it's supposed to be. Because when we look at the crucifix, it, you don't get that feeling. But what really happened to Jesus was painful and, and gruesome. And maybe that's what this kind of is. Don't sanitize it. Speak about it openly and truthfully so people can really understand it. I mean, that's... That's what I'm getting from here. Well, I, I have another, excuse me, I have another phrase, um, and that is, and believe it or not, it's a comment by Richard Nixon, who, of course, was president, and he was impeached, et cetera. And he talks about um, the peaks and valleys of his life. And it's on tape. If you really want to hear something amazing is play it, because he reads it to you. And at the beginning, he says, I'm reading this to you because only I can read it with the emotion that it deserves. And the first chapter is called Peaks and Valleys. And he talked about, you know, being governor and president. And then he talked about Watergate and all the lawsuits that were that ruined his life and his family's life after Watergate. And he says, you know, it is only the man he used man is his phrase. So I'm just quoting him. It is only the man who has been in the deepest valley who could appreciate the magnificence of the tallest mountain. And in many ways, you've been in the deepest valley, and now you're at the tallest mountain. And so it just resonates with me as I sit next to you, and I really think you're amazing. And let me ask you, you have to not be the norm, right? I mean, we, I, I mean you have to be the one exception, the one percentile, because not only did you, I don't know the right phrase, correct me here, not only did you get out, or not only did you make it, but now you're turning it for something good and positive, and you're breaking the cycle, and you're trying to break the cycle for others. You have to be the anomaly. I am definitely the anomaly, unfortunately, but um, I will say that it is possible, and my life is not perfect. Again, I try every day. I, I tell people I'm not a survivor. I'm, a, I'm surviving. It's a daily process. When you go through stuff in life, you, you carry that with you for the rest of your life. So you have to learn to function through it. And how does that become a part of you, part of your story? Um, and again, yeah, not sugarcoating it, but to be able to utilize it and to promote um, hope and to let people into those struggles. And when you get to the top of the mountain, and I'm not there yet, but as I'm climbing, you got to reach back and bring people up with you because what is it for? You get to the top of the mountain and you're alone. That's no fun. You got to be able to reach back and give your journey us worth something you take a selfie up there who cares about a picture of you show all the people that you brought up with you well you know there's an old show called carol burnett and at the end she always has that song i'm so glad we had this time together i don't know if you know that but at the end of the day they played at the end you know why because we're at the end so houston we're with the incredible rachel fisher who is of course a forensic nurse but more importantly than that she's an angel and I don't know, I just feel the need to say a prayer. Would you join me here? I'm going to say a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this angel. The words she says really are the words of God and the words of strength. 
and please continue to give her that strength so she can spread that word and that hope to so many others. So thank you for bringing her in our path and thank you for bringing her on our show here on A Tip from Gilbert. Rachel, I'm going to give you the last word. Just thank you for listening and walk away from this taking something, making it tangible, and have an actual step of what you're going to do today. You, you didn't listen to this by chance, so what are you going to do because you've heard it? Amen. What are you going to do to make the world better today? Amen. Let's listen to the rest. Producers, our studio audience is giving you a round of applause. Let's hear this song because I dedicated it to her. You can turn it up there, Mr. Producer. In a world that keeps on pushing me around, but I stand a world that keeps on pushing me around. Isn't that incredible? And I won't back down. Hey, baby. There ain't, there ain't no, no easy way out. Ain't that the truth, right, Rach? Hey, I will stand my ground. And I won't back down. No, I won't so we are off the radio now miss rachel but we're on facebook and everything as we wrap up here uh i just want to say that uh what powerful words it's incredible the power of language like you corrected me on the use of language not correct but you enlightened me about the power of language and certain word choices and you know here's a song with very few words it's only two minutes long, but yet it's so powerful, and it just made me think of you. Um, so when you're out there, do you say to yourself when you wake up in the morning, I'm going to do something good today? Or is, or is your calendar so booked that you're like, I've got all these things i got to be here, here, here? Or do you just say, and do you ever say, Lord, thank you for bringing me here? I mean, tell us... Tell us a little bit about you and your faith and what's a day for you? Yeah, honestly, the first thing is just, God, give me the strength to get out of bed because <laughs> I'm tired. Um, when you go through stuff and when you've had a life like mine, it's it's tough and people don't always understand it. You, there's bias against you. There's this stigma, right? And so being able to make the choice to get out of bed and to function and to live another day, um, especially anybody who's you know struggled with suicide or depression, it's it's tough to want to keep going. Like you're just drained and running on running on fumes. But to be able to get out of bed and say, okay, I have breath in my lungs, and so I, I start my day with this Jesus Calling book, and I read my little devotional, and I pray, and I'm like, all right, all right, God, I'm here again. What do you got for me? I'm in, and just take the wheel. Um, and even on those days where I don't want to get up, I still just do and. Um, like whether it's a speaking engagement or a podcast or whatever I'm doing, I'm like, you know what, Holy Spirit, take the take the mic, whatever you want me to say. I have a, a song that I listen to, um, "Steal My Show" by Toby Mac. And, I'm gonna write that um, down. "Steal My Show" as an S T E A L, my show. Steal my show, and I just say, you know what, the stage is yours. I'm here for you. If you've, um, I mean, I've survived near death experiences, and I'm still here. So I'm like, it's obviously for a purpose. So what do you want from me today? And I just make it intentional each day i just make it intentional and even when i go out and about um, i just want to leave the day better than i found it well you inspire me i just i feel like a mere mortal around you because i just think that i would have so much anger I don't know if I would have made it. I think I would. I don't know. Maybe I'd have given up. I just don't know. You don't know till you're in there and you find that inner strength somehow. You just don't know, right? Yeah, and you don't always have that strength. It's tough sometimes, and these triggers come up. And I mean, even with the documentary coming out or when a podcast comes out and I share more details, you know, you have those people from your past who don't like you telling the truth. And it's um, you get pushback. And when you, um, when you have pushback, I always say you're doing something right. Because if you're, mm -hmm. if you have adversity, that means the enemy is fighting you because you have a great task at hand. And I think that that's why I had so much struggles because my purpose is so great. So the, the travesties are going to be greater. So I just have to keep that in mind that the journey is even greater, but the anger, the resentment, the unforgiveness, that stuff is real. So you really have to understand that to get through trauma and people who hurt you, you won't always have closure, but you have to learn to forgive 
because like God forgave us, right? Like he doesn't look down if you're a believer and see what you did yesterday. He sees the blood of Jesus. He doesn't even see that. We hold that, we carry that, but God doesn't see it anymore. He looks at his son. So walking in that mercy and grace and giving that to others, you have to do that. Even if whoever hurt you or whatever happened, even if you never see that person again, they never apologize. The forgiveness is in your heart. It's for you. It's not for them. They they may not even deserve that. It's for you to be able to let it go because it's not yours to carry. So being able to forgive and just function and move on and, and um, just not let them control another day. They've already stolen so much. So just let the pain go and move forward in grace. You are incredible. Uh, you know, I think back people that have done something to me or hurt me, and I don't know, maybe I carry some of that still. And 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 I guess I got to, I mean, I got to forgive. And I, th- I don't think I'm alone out there. I think we all have something that we look back and say, I just need to forgive. Um that's amazing. That doesn't mean letting toxic people stay in your life. And even if you forgive them, that doesn't mean they're going to be a part of your future. It just means that for you, you're giving up the weight and you're saying you've done your part. You're, you're free. you got to free yourself. Well, let me ask you this. Where will Rachel Fisher be 15 years, 10 years from now, 15 years from now? I mean, where do you see Rachel Fisher. Hopefully still above the dirt. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think we can count on that. I think the Lord's going to bless you with a long life to carry his word. Yeah, as long as you're living with purpose, I mean, we're here for that. And so as long as I'm continuing to live in his will, um, I'm open. I, I always say we plan and God laughs. So I can plan out the next 10 years, but um, I have my dreams, my desires. You know, I'm, I'm doing a lot more public speaking now, consulting education and testifying in court. And so when I was doing my work day by day, um, I was so limited. But now I have a greater platform where I can train others mm-hmm. and do so much greater good by sharing at a more massive level to be able to impact thousands and hundreds of thousands of lives instead of just one at a time. So that's where I'm going is to be more at that uh, um stage level to be able to to train others to do what I did. Well, I didn't even get to do all of the things I normally do. So Facebook, you're out there, Spotify, everyone. This is a tip from Gilbert Talk, inspiration and prayer, because I was so immersed in our guest here. We are every Monday, 11 to 1145. We're at KYOK, 1140 AM, KWWJ, 1360 AM, 96.9 FM. And then, of course, you can call in anytime. Tell us what's going on at your church. Tell us what's going on with your children. Tell us anything you want to. If you're running for office, tell us why. 832-570-8075. And, of course, please, please register to vote and vote. Your voice matters. So please register to vote and vote. Rachel, I'm going to give you the last word. What do you want to say to Houston? Last word. Don't give up. Stay Houston strong um, and make the world a better place today. Whatever that means in your circle of influence, just do something good and choose to smile, choose to say yes, choose to show up. Amen. All right. Tip from Gilbert. We'll see you next time. This is Gilbert Andrew Garcia. Join me on my new radio show, A Tip from Gilbert. Talk, inspiration, and prayer every Monday from 11 to 11.45 a.m. on KYOK 1140 a.m. Or call in at 832-570-8075. See you then.